Welcome back once again to Rhythms of Grace. My name is Nate. I'm the executive pastor at Grace Church, and I'm here with Sung Kim, uh, the lead pastor. You will hear that I'm a little bit congested. Sung and I both had COVID last week, which is why this podcast is coming to you late. <laughs> because we're, yeah, got the Rona. How was it for you? Uh, I had a day or two when I was pretty tired okay. and then felt like a, like a flu. Um, but aside from that, um, yeah, lost my taste. Really? Has it come back yet? Uh, f- halfway. Okay. But that was the strangest feeling. Like all joy of eating just vanished. <laughs> it was just texture. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and so, I mean, I was eating an avocado and like literally it could have been like a cheesecake. Just because all mush, the, it, it was, was just, just mushy, mush. and I was just like, <laughs> you know, and and my wife has a has a liver in in the freezer because we we buy a big cow every year, okay, uh, you know, um, and put in the freezer, <laughs> um, uh, for our supply of beef for the year, but. And I, I can't st- stand liver. So she's like, this is the perfect time <laughs> to eat I the liver. Sneak liver into your food and you won't even know. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I didn't. I basically just felt like I had a cold, except that um, I had a I had a really hard time catching my breath, which oh. is which is yeah. unique. Like doing the chores, like I couldn't really walk and talk at the same time. I'm pretty much back to normal, but that was weird. I, I've never really <clears throat> had felt like I just can't seem to catch my breath. Yeah. So, yeah. But. I, so it's it, it's actually been, what, more than two weeks. Yeah. Yep. So not just last week. Cause we, oh, we, that's we true. Had, cause yeah, that's true. Now we're back together. We're, <laughs> we're uh, uh, here we are. Yeah, we, we spent a full really two weeks in quarantine, yep. and now we're back. Yep. But that's, that's why this is coming to you late, because we couldn't record last week. So we are, this entire season is uh, called No Easy Answers, and we're fielding a lot of questions from uh, listeners who are texting in, um, and that's what we have today, right? Yeah, and you can text in 734-709-5742. I I love getting some of these questions, and some people have been like, oh, I'm sorry, I have so many questions. I'm like, no, keep sending more in. That's good. So um, this this person uh, references, so this is not necessarily a, a uh, uh, a question about the passage, but I- I'll read the question afterwards, and it's a great question. So she refers to the passage of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So okay. it's a story that Jesus is telling, yeah. and it's about a rich guy who's clothed in purple which and fine linen, which demonstrate his just luxury mm-hmm. uh, of lifestyle. And at his doorway, at the gate of his house, is a poor man named Lazarus who's just covered in sores, and, and basically the rich man passes by him every day. And here's Lazarus as the story, as Jesus describes the story, like dogs are like licking his open sores. Oh, nice. And finally, the the poor man dies, right? Now, that's not the point of the question, but here's the question that she asks. She says, Sung, I have passed by people standing at the street corner holding signs asking for money, and I don't give them money. Yeah. I feel so guilty about this. Like Jesus is looking down at me frowning. Oof. Yet I also have heard that giving them money doesn't do any good. This always reminds me of the rich man and Lazarus, and I just really feel like I may be do, uh, going to hell this, oh, when okay. I do this. Well, I mean, that's sort of the end of that parable, right? Yeah. 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 And so that's uh, so it, it's it's um, it's more of an application and a social ethic yep. question. Yep. Um, and so. Th- 
she 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 actually uh, sent me a series of three questions, and this was the first of them. And she's like, "I have a lot more." This is a good one. This is a good I, one. I'm excited to get into this because yeah. you know it's interesting. We don't we we now we live out in the country, mm-hmm. but when we used to live in uh, Metro Detroit, we lived in a city called Ferndale. Yeah, and um, I lived close enough to the church that I walked there. To and from every single day, mm-hmm. and so there, there were, and Ferndale um, and sort of the surrounding suburbs had a very, very high homeless population. Mm-hmm. So this is actually something that I've thought about. Yeah, um, and it's uh, again, it's interesting. I don't experience it hardly at all. Maybe like on the corner of like the expressway sometimes, <laughs> but in Ann Arbor, it just wasn't a part of sort of my literally daily rhythm. Yeah, like it was. So I'm excited. I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Yeah. You know, so uh, I I think there's I could there's at least two perspectives uh, we could talk about this, and, and that she's asking one is a theological social ethic, yeah, and the other is a um, social system, okay, perspective, okay, good. and she's talking about that. Like I've heard that it doesn't do any good. Yep, yep, and that you know on one hand that is true, but does that I don't think that negates. This other side, which is kind of the 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 command yeah. from Jesus in terms of how we are to to treat people, yeah, um, and especially the poor, yeah. So yeah. Th- th- that's some initial thoughts, and I could dive into either one of those. Yeah, um, let's start. Uh, I mean, let's start with the the first, the big one, sort of like the uh, the social uh, or ethical sort of question, the theological. Yeah, social. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, right, um, James talks about this, like, and Jesus talks about it. We, like, uh, when our hearts grow cold and hard mm. against those who are suffering, yeah. like, that is a sign of, I would say, uh, 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 of God's grace starting to close in your own it's life. A red, it's a serious red flag. It is. Yeah. And so e- even with that, like, we are commanded to to help those in need. Um, whether it's Matthew chapter 25, Jesus saying, you know, well, you know, you, I was in prison and you didn't come. And they're like, yeah. well, when, when were you in prison, Jesus? If you've done it to the least, yeah. you've done and, it to and, me. And so you can't get away from the command of Jesus to like, to consider, yeah. you know, and, and again, there's no easy answer, but, but does that mean you know, and, and you could take two perspectives. One is like, oh, you just give money to every homeless person you see. Right. Um, or the other, which is like, well, no. And I, 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 this is a really no easy answer because um, I, I think it's really walking uh, through some really complicated issues. Yeah. I, and I think we're going to, this is kind of straddles the line between the two sort of perspectives that you were putting out there from like a social system versus theological. But one of the verses that I all that always comes to mind when I think about these type of issues is that Jesus says the poor will always be among you. Mm. In other words, there isn't ever going to be a social system that is sufficient to prevent people from falling into or living lives of, of poverty or homelessness. Um, and so it's almost like we can't simply say, I don't want to feed into a broken system because it, even if there was a perfect system, right? Jesus is saying, look, there are still going to be poor people. So the command is there sort of irrespective of 
the sort of system responsibility yeah. or effectiveness or whatever. And so it really, it gets very tricky to yeah. say, well, what then should I do? Do I give money to everyone because we're all a part of a broken system? They're always going to be there. Or how do you begin to, to sort of draw those lines? And there's not, there's not an easy answer to no. that. And, and I think sometimes, especially today, people want to create a political system that they think will fix the problem, mm-hmm. whether it's socialism or, and we won't go into politics here, but, but just, uh, again, part of it is like even in social, uh, like socialism as an example, in a political system, you will still have people in, in poverty or in homelessness situations. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to remember that the, the reasons for people being in, ho- you know, being homeless <coughs> are not solved by a system. Right. Mental health is not fixed because there is adequate care. Yeah. You know, drug addiction is not solved because there are programs. Like, those things will help, but they're not going to catch everyone. They're not going to... There's there's no net where, the, where sort of the weave is tight enough to catch everyone, regardless yeah. of how good, because those type of issues that move people towards homelessness or poverty are so there are so many variables and you just you can't account for all of them yeah and so here here's here's um here's my story here's how i decided to to process this okay um and uh, this is where and this is where there's no easy answer but this is where i decided to draw the line there were people in my city that i had a relationship with there were homeless people in my city that I had a relationship with because similar to the way Jesus lays out this parable, I saw them every day. And that for me was really different than sort of driving by someone on the side of the road. And I think there's a relational component to this parable that we maybe don't fully understand. We are often, when we see homeless people, we are often in our cars um, or we're on our way to something. And the way that Jesus lays out this parable is literally this guy was right outside his doorway. Anytime that he came in or out, there was, I mean, maybe not an interaction, but there was certainly the opportunity for an interaction. And that's a really different framework for a relationship with someone in poverty than the way that you and I would sort of regularly experience it or the way that I do now. I only come across a homeless person if they happen to be standing on an entrance ramp to an expressway. Whereas before there were people who I saw regularly and I knew their names and I knew their stories. Um, They would sometimes show up in our church on Sunday and we would worship together. Like that is a really different, it's a really different relationship than uh, a total stranger. And so for me, I basically decided to invest in those relationships um, as a way of trying to obey this command. Mm. And so that looked like, yeah, you know someone's name. Like if this person asks me for a ride, I'm actually, I'm probably going to give it to them. If a stranger, and that was, that's actually where it started to get like a little bit clarifying for me. There were homeless people that I knew and there were homeless people that were strangers. And I was kind of like, well, I mean, again, we there's commands about how you, like, engage with the stranger. Yeah. So I, I don't want that term to get confusing, <laughs> but I'll just say that, that there was, um, it got somewhat easier because I knew the stories and the names of people. 
and uh, it became very easy to say, man, I, I, I gave you 20 bucks last week. I don't have 20 bucks to give you this week. Or um, we had people that did work at the church. You know, they would come and we would have them mow the lawn or um, just like help unload boxes. You know, we had a food pantry, so people would just come and we would, you know, buy them a pizza afterwards. But th- th- it was all within a context of relationship, which for me was very clarifying. I don't know how to solve that problem if you're not. I mean, I was in a very unique situation, mm-hmm. right, where I was walking everywhere all the time. Our church was right in the middle of downtown, so it was a very sort of easy stop um, for people to come by. And so in uh, something that's more suburban, where everybody's in their cars all the time, I don't know how that translates. Yeah. And I, I, st- I, don't, I don't have a good metric the way that I once did. Okay. Well, let, uh, yeah, uh, let, let's go to the other side and, and then we'll kind of come back into the middle of like, what does this look like in okay. our lives? Yeah. Um, so she, she also says, well, I've heard that it doesn't do any good. Mm. L- let's address that because, you know, I, I think uh, let, we'll speak to both um, those who are jaded. Yeah. And, and there's reasons to be. I am. I, I will be, I'm very jaded. Yeah. I got taken advantage of so many times. Yeah. So I, I'm very jaded. Yeah. And to the bleeding hearts, yeah. if I could call it that, you know. Um, and uh, so let, let's speak to this side of like the, the it doesn't do any good. Um, wh- what have you heard about that? Well, um, I, I mean, mm, I don't think that giving someone money on the side of the road provides them an opportunity to get out of homelessness. I, I, ju- I just don't think that it does. If, that, it's, if that's sort of like what, if that's the good you're trying to accomplish, then I don't think that it does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other goods, which I think we'll probably get into. There are other things that are good that aren't th- that far in terms of life or circumstance transformation. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that giving somebody money on the side of the road is the pathway. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so with, from the social, from a social system perspective, um, I, I, I will say uh, you, and you see this where, for example, ho- and some might argue against it and, and that's fine, but at least it's, it's at least half true, but I would say it, it's mostly true. Uh, homeless shelters, for example, perpetuate homelessness mm. um, because there's a dynamic in, in the whole social system, just like, um, uh, f- you know, and, and don't hate me, but like food aid can actually, uh, increase starvation. Mm. Um, or can you, can you flesh that out for me a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, and at the base of this is a lot of times these things address the symptoms rather than the, con- than the actually underlying problems. So okay. l- let's take a, a different issue. For example, uh, Get tough prison prison sentences. Okay. Uh, don't address the socioeconomic causes of crime in urban settings. In fact, what they do is, uh, and the statistics are like 90 plus percent people eventually who are released come back. Yeah. Like like the, uh, the rate of be- being back in prison is really high. And what happens is, and, and so some people will be like, oh, just get tough on crime. Mm. Well, what you've done is you've taken let's say a, a, a mother or father out of their home yeah. 
Out of their community. Yeah, out of their community. And what ha- the, it just perpetuates the next generation of right. crime. Right. And, and so short term, you think, oh, yes. So it, it's, you know, we've heard it, it, it gets uh, worse before it gets better. Mm. The opposite happens in a lot of short term quick fixes. It gets better before it gets worse. I see. And so in that case, that's an example of, you, uh, of what uh, unintended consequence of a short-term solution perpetuating mm. longer-term dependence mm. or, or, or just uh, dysfunction. Yeah. So you take homelessness, for example, sometimes providing shelter. Um, a, a lot of people will uh, um, cycle through shelters or, or community centers, emergency rooms, and jails and things. And so sometimes the more resources you provide in, in in running or starting shelters um thinking that these people don't want the security of a permanent home mm. you're addressing a short-term need mm. at the expense of or the neglect of undermining both um empowering people and, and providing f- financial resources required to end homelessness. Now, what is that, what that looks like? I have no idea. Right, right. Because so here's, what's interesting. Here's another program that our church did uh, in Ferndale in the coldest months. And a lot of, I think Ann Arbor has this as well, but mm-hmm. we essentially set up rotating shelters at our churches um, and each church would host for a couple weeks. And the people that came to those shelters were people that didn't qualify or so e- even a homeless shelter has a baseline of like you have to be x y and z in order to stay here whether yeah. it's sober or whatever it might be um and th- there there is there was like a whole another layer of people we would sometimes have over 100 men and women a night in these shelters just from like metro me- the metro detroit area the cops would literally like pull people out of snowbanks mm-hmm. and just wow. drop them off at our door and so, again, it's one of those things where, okay, so maybe you have a great system, but guess what? We had to create another system under that system mm-hmm. for the people who didn't even qualify there. So you can see how if you have these things, like, no, you just have to sort of keep creating systems. Yeah. And in some ways it isn't, it didn't, I mean, I, I am thankful for that. I think we, I think we and the other churches, I think we literally were saving people's lives. Yeah. I, that, that's absolute, I feel confident about that. And, yeah. uh, but it wasn't addressing the larger problem of their homelessness. Right. Right. And again, this is just one perspective. We've gone to the other side and, and this is where from a sociological or policy perspective, the conventional thinking is like uh, whatever policy we, we create is designed to, uh, that, that's a ch- uh, designed to achieve short-term success will also assure long-term success. And that's not necessarily No, and systems thinking would say, no, no, most quick fixes have unintended consequences long-term. Uh, and another difference is like, you know, short uh, conventional thinking would say, well, in order to optimize the whole, we need, need to optimize the part. And systems thinking would say, no, no, no. Like, in order to optimize the whole, you have to improve the relationship among all the different parts. Mm. So this is more of a systems thinking type uh, uh, idea. Mm. Now, if all you do is live in systems thinking, you're going to say, of course, right. Like and, and like you, I, there, there's parts of me that I, it's really jaded. I, I've literally given, like, I, or I've seen people uh, give 
for example, food to somebody, in, you know, on a median of a highway. And then they thank them. And, and then I, because I'm like a beh- like few cars behind them, I've seen them open it up and, and just toss it aside. Mm. I, I've seen people um, lay, lay, uh, sit there on the streets uh, asking for money. And then I've seen them uh, get up, go into their car. Mm. Y- you know, so uh, again, yeah. and some of you have experienced that too. And that creates this jadedness. Yeah. Uh, and... From a s- social system point of view, yeah, like giving them a dollar or ten dollars doesn't really help end homelessness. Right. Um, a- and if anything, I think we might do that to ease our own guilty conscience. Mm. Now, on the flip side, right? Like, and this is where the tension is. Yeah, you can't ignore Jesus' command. Yep. Yep. And there is a good, bes- and there is good that is, uh, again, it goes back to what we were talking about. It depends on how you define good. Like yeah. if you're only, again, and I think this is systems thinking, from a systems thinking, good is is like eliminating the problem of homelessness. Right. But from a personal or relational or a theological perspective, you see someone who is a, who is a person yeah. who is created by God in the image of God and who God dearly loves and how you interact with that person, regardless of whether or not it is a step towards that uh, addressing the systemic problems, regardless of that, there is value in doing good yeah. for that person. Yeah. And that's where it gets so complicated. Cause then it's like, well, what, so do I do that for everybody or do I not? Right. So again, I'm not trying to answer the question here. I'm just saying there are, there's a broad, broad perspective or broad spectrum of perspectives on, on how you should engage with this issue. Yeah. You know, and I'll say this is how I or our family has, has, or d- uh, d- d- like, addresses this tension or walks in this tension. Um, you know, one of the things that I have come to really appreciate and have learned over the years, and, and I do this, is, you know, it, like more so than the physical poverty or material poverty, a lot of people in homeless situations or, or in poverty, there is a, a social shame. Yeah. And so if you watch a lot of people when there's a guy, a homeless guy in the corner, a panhandler or a homeless person holding up a sign, most people will, will divert their eyes. I'm guilty of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so part of loving them and seeing them as a human being is, for example, there's one guy that I see a lot and he's always sitting there and waving to people. Like, and I just think, man, that, like, that's so different. Like, and not only this guy, but any person, I will look at them and wave to them or just acknowledge them because 90 some percent of people who drive by will not even acknowledge yeah. that they're there. Yeah. And I've heard homeless, I've heard people that are either in homelessness or, you know, are panhandling describe that as the most painful part it is, is it that is. they, they essentially say, I, I am not, I, they don't see me as human yeah. anymore. I'm invisible. Yeah. Or, or even worse than human. Right. Yeah. And so I would say that's one real, like an easy step. Like, yeah. How do you just even engage them? Um, I mean, I'll say again, when I was when I was uh, sort of embedded in a community that had a lot of panhandlers and homeless men and women more often, and I was sort of more confident in my own sort of decisions or whatever, yeah. I would regularly just roll down my window and say, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you today. It, it, literally just to acknowledge, yeah. I see you. I don't have anything for you. I'm sorry. And again, uh, is that doing good 
I, you know, it's, it's a, there, there is an element of that doing good because it's humanizing a person that God dearly, dearly loves. Exactly. So there, again, no easy answers, but there are lots of ways to sort of answer this question. I I think a couple other things too, uh, from even past experience, I've taken, you know, I've engaged in conversations while I'm walking in in a city and uh, uh, somebody approaches me, uh, you know, I've taken them to, uh, and had lunch with them, you know, bought them lunch. Yeah. And had a conversation, and it's amazing, like, when you actually hear their stories. Mm. A lot of them suffer, are veterans who are suffering from mental illness and health issues. And, like, just for for them to actually have a warm meal and somebody who will listen to them. Yeah. Even as simple as, there was one instance when I was walking um, uh, downtown, and I had an orange in my hand, and uh, and a homeless guy approached me. And I was like, sorry, I don't really have anything. And I gave him my orange and we just started talking and it was just, and he was peeling the orange, he was eating it. And as we were talking, he just started crying, mm. which, which just shocked me. Cause again, like the, the jaded side of me is just like, yeah, yeah look, right. I'll, I'll give you this. But like, he was just so, um, uh, like for a moment he felt human. Yeah. A- and, uh, for me to actually pause enough in, in any of our busy schedule yeah. to do that. You know, our, our, our family, and I know different families do this too, you, you know, you, you prepare different, um, like, packages yeah. mm-hmm. in your car yeah. with toothbrush and other things. that yeah, you hygiene and, yeah. like, non-perishable foods. I mean, and little things like that. I, I think, um, so those are some ways to live in that tension. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it's... So it's, I, I, I love, I love the framework of saying our goal and perhaps some aspect of Jesus's parable was around putting a human face back on the poor. Yeah. And that's an interesting way to decide. And is that even as I'm thinking through my own story, that is like, oh, suddenly these people had names and faces, yeah. whereas for a lot of years and in a lot of circumstances, they didn't. And I wonder if we were to try to prayerfully humanize yeah. the poor around us, if what we should do might become more clear. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, I've had relationship with people who are homeless. And one guy in particular, I remember he would sleep in the doorsteps of our church, mm-hmm. <laughs> church building. Yeah. And, um, and as I, as and this was when uh, this was at a smaller church, and, and I was kind of like the, um, the the solo pastor then. So I, I would he would be on the doorsteps uh, a couple times a week, and we'd have conversations. And and here I found out like he has a daughter who lives in Florida, mm-hmm. and he would you know he wanted to get money to go visit her. So uh, again, they're too, they have a story, yeah. and it's not just that they have family members, yeah. they have people they care about, yeah. and who care about them. And, and and this is where uh, again it's like these experiences shape and form you and, and I remember he was like yeah I he he wanted to be homeless mm. <laughs> which again like but until you hear their stories um, he whatever it was about that lifestyle um, he really you know he had lost it all mm. uh, divorce lost his home all that and, and just I think his life just came to the point where he just maybe just was just fine in his situation mm. and, and just felt like he could actually survive and didn't want to go back. So uh, again, like, but, but that really helped me like, Oh, okay. 
So we we brought up bought him a train ticket mm. so he could visit his daughter, yeah. right? So things like that. And I, I one thing to address, especially in the question here. She says, I feel so guilty about this. This going back to the question that yeah. like Jesus is looking down at me frowning. Oh man, that's a lot of pressure. It is. <laughs> it is. Can, uh, can you address that? I, well, I mean, I, I feel like God has a tremendous amount of mercy. I feel like Jesus normally looks down on us with, uh, with mercy and grace really, uh, yeah. because I think that I am probably committing sins I am not even aware of on the on the regular, you know? And um, so I think that, that his grace for those things also applies. You know, and again, especially if, you, if you're not sure what you're supposed to do, I don't think God is judging you for your confusion. No, no. And, and I would say, too, uh, to, to this uh, young woman, like... Um, I think this is not about the, the whole issue of Jesus frowning on you. I would say it's not even about you giving money to the poor. Mm. It goes to a deeper issue of like really, uh, again, reminding yourself daily uh, of your new identity. Mm. You know, uh, I remember asking a question uh, a, a, a while ago, and the question was, when God looks, looks at you, how does he feel? Mm. I remember I asked that question in a sermon, and I had a young man come out to me and said he constantly feels disappointed mm. you know and, and there's a deeper issue of identity there yeah. and because maybe we've grown up in our own family of origins where we've experienced that but that's where the the script needs to be flipped especially if you're a child of god mm-hmm. you've done nothing to earn it yeah um and, and so uh, the default of when jesus looks at you even when you've neglected to do good or even when you've intentionally done bad, it is one of love yeah. and compassion. One of my favorite Old Testament verses, Zephaniah 3. And so just hear this and really embrace this. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. And here's a part. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Um, that, that's one version. Uh, the, 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 the NIV says, um, he will rejoice over you with singing. Mm. Like, I just imagine, like, uh, imagine a parent holding a, a newborn child. And all you, uh, that's the image that comes to mind when I think of when Jesus looks down on you as a, as a, a follower and a child of God is like, he takes such delight in you yeah. and, and almost so like, not almost to the point where he's, he's holding you and he's singing over you. Like, when do you, when do you sing over a person? Yeah. Like there's so much affection. And, and so, um, the, just the whole idea of like, oh, I'm afraid I might go to hell. Uh, because I'm not giving to the poor, mm. man. Um, for me, for me, there's a deeper identity, right? It's almost like it doesn't matter how much you did for the poor. Yeah. There, in the, I mean, it's it, it's ironic that in some ways we're saying like, look, the addressing the symptoms of homelessness don't really prevent homelessness the way we might think. We might say to this young woman, you addressing your feelings of guilt through action aren't actually addressing the root. Of why you feel this way, yeah. 
And God actually has something better for you yeah. than simply doing everything right and therefore feeling like you've earned his favor. Right, right. Whew. Yeah. That was a good question. It is a good, man, <laughs> I love those kind where it's like there's a lot there's a lot there. And and I, I, I think it really touches um where a lot of us live, which yeah. is like, hey, the gospel says these things. What on earth does that look like when I'm walking down the street and I meet someone who's asking me for ten bucks? Yeah. Well, like, had I love to, I love to talk through those. Mm-hmm. So, thanks so much for your questions. Uh, thanks again for listening in, and we hope that we will catch you again on the next episode next week. God bless everybody. <laughs>